listening to the Seven Rivers Student Ministry Podcast. We believe that all students are lovable through a relationship with Jesus. If you'd like to know more about our ministry, you can visit us at www.sevenrivers.org backslash students. Y'all don't even know, I'm decked out in a book club sweatshirt that has gold sparkly letters on it, and I am so pumped because I love book clubs. I think they're so fun. They're just the greatest. Um, I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad that you were a part of my book club today. Um, Today, it's just me, Sarah. We will have other guests in, um, in the next few episodes as we discuss the book that we're talking about but I want to introduce myself. I'm Sarah. I'm a discipleship director at Seven Rivers Church in Florida, and I absolutely love discipleship. Um, I'm just really passionate about it, really passionate about students and seeing them grow into what we are going to call resilient disciples as we talk about this book. And so I'm glad you're here. I think that this is going to be a really beneficial conversation that we have as we walk through the book Faith for Exiles by David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock. So if you don't already have this book, I think you should go on Amazon right now, X out of the podcast, or wait till it's over, whatever is easiest for you. (laughs) Order the book. It's like 15 bucks on Amazon, and it is worth your time. I've read it about three times at this point. I am loving it. It has been so transformative in the way that we do ministry as a team here and in the way that we strategize for ministry, in the way that we um, just kind of think about our students and their walk with Jesus. And so we're excited to be here. I cannot wait to, um, to talk through this book with you guys. So let me give you a couple of heads up. First, this is going to be between five and six episodes long. So we've got a few weeks. So if you don't have the book yet, you've got plenty of time to grab it, read through each a chapter a week, basically, as we release podcast episodes. And we're going to talk through the five ways for a new generation to follow Jesus in a digital Babylon. Um, and so we're going to get into all of that in just a few minutes. But I am, I'm just excited you're here. I know I've said that like eight times, but I'm telling you one more time, I'm so pumped that you are here. So we're going to get started. Be ready to learn about how we can grow resilient disciples in a world where we and our students are kind of obsessed with technology. Um, Yeah, we're thankful you're here. you guys to the book today. There's some language that's going to be used and some research that was done um, that led to this book being written. And so we're going to talk about that today just so that as we move forward with the next five chapters, the five practices that we can implement as parents, as disciplers, um, we'll, we'll kind of know what we're talking about, especially um, as you read the book, it may be helpful to process what is being said. So um, I... <laughs> 
a couple of years ago, we went to a couple of years. It was a while back. We went to Outer Banks um, in North Carolina to, as a family, we, we went and we ran a race together there. And um, while we were there, we went to Kitty Hawk, which is, as many of you know, the place where Wilbur and Orville Wright flew the first plane. Um, so in 1903, the Wright brothers built this first aircraft that could actually fly, and it was successfully launched and estimated to go around 31 miles per hour. I know, guys. It was flying. <laughs> um, it was going 31 miles an hour, 6 miles an hour on ground. I mean, pretty pretty slow. Um, we would say... It's, it's like an interesting thought because it was compared to planes out very slow. Um, but we'll get back there. So today, there's a record for the fastest plane. At that time, in 1903, that was the only plane that had flown. So it was also the fastest plane that had flown. 31 miles an hour. It took a couple of years before anything beat that record by a couple of miles an hour. Um Today, though, the fastest plane that has a man on it, so the fastest manned plane, holds a record of speeds at over 2,000 miles per hour. 2,000 miles per hour. We are living in an accelerated world, right? As many of you, I remember when the internet became a thing, like a household norm, we had like this bookshelf set <laughs> and it had a set of encyclopedias on it. And I loved reading the encyclopedias in the summer. And I would like write book reports when I was bored. Um, this is why I'm doing a podcast called the book club. Um, <laughs> but then, so my sixth grade year for Christmas, my dad and mom got us a computer for Christmas and I was freaking out. I was so excited because it meant we got to go on AOL we got to go get the little CD out of the bin at Walmart that was free for like a, a free trial of AOL for like, I don't know, two weeks or a month or whatever. Um, and I just was so excited. I had cousins who had AOL already. And so I was so excited to get on AOL and like chat with them and like go into like the Nickelodeon chat room and like play games and chat. I mean, I was just it was the greatest thing that could have ever happened, right? <laughs> so we set this computer up right next to like this bookshelf of encyclopedias. And you can guess which one, you know, I'm going to now. I'm not going to the encyclopedias. Um, we, we spent a little while like figuring out where the closest phone jack was so that we could dial into AOL. We, you know, it, did we need to check emails? Did we need to search for something? What could we do? We didn't, we had no clue how to search at this point. What was Yahoo? Nobody knew. Um, much less Google. I don't even know if Google had been invented. Maybe I haven't looked that up. Maybe I'll do that. Um, <laughs> but even the, that particular increase in speed. Okay. I have to wait for like a four minute dial up process, right? We all remember the dial up process, have to find an AOL keyword or figure out how to go to Yahoo. I have to type in my question. I have to wait for it to load, which I'm sure we all remember that it was not quick. I mean, it took a took a solid 30 seconds or so to load any kind of answers that you know any kind of websites that we might want to look at and then um but I remember thinking oh my gosh this is so fast like this is way faster than walking over to my bookshelf and opening it to the O so I can look up possum and like reading it this was incredible this was hyperspeed for me right we we had gone we were we had been living at 31 miles an hour and now we're probably living at like 40 miles an hour. <laughs> it felt so, so fast. 
we didn't grow up with this speed, but our students now are high. Like we, we now live at this 2000 miles per hour. There's 21 miles per hour, 2100 miles per hour speed. We are living in a hyper speed age where everything is literally instantly accessible where we can, we follow the world actually on Instagram or on Facebook or on TikTok. We are following the world. We have instant access to any music we want, any TV we want, any searches we want. And, and it's, it's always there. It's always available. And so I think that as we read this book, reading it from the mindset of for us, for, for us as adults, I'm 34. So those of you who are around my age and older, we grew up knowing what the slow pace of life could be. And then we have gradually increased our speed to be at where we are now. We didn't go zero to 60 in a minute. We went zero to 60 in 10, 15 years, 20 years. Our students now, these 15 to 23 year olds who we're specifically talking about in this book, grew up on the SR. 71 blackbird 21 mile 100 mile per hour plane they grew up instant instantly in a world where nothing is slow they've even as a two-year-old they don't have to wait for daniel tiger to come on at seven o'clock tonight you can turn it on right now on netflix or amazon or hulu or whatever i mean we have they, they know that they have instant access to whatever they want whenever they want it and that's not um that's not our fault like that's not necessarily a bad thing but I'm not saying that um as a bad thing but just recognizing that the idea of we used to have to wait for Jeopardy every night which is my personal favorite show um, and now we can turn on Netflix they can turn on Netflix and they can watch the show that they want to watch the new Gilmore Girls episodes immediately all of them not just one all 10 of them at one time so there's this hyper speed at which our students experience the world in crisis too. 40 years ago, if a war started or someone died or there was a riot or a march or whatever, you kind of you found out about it afterward on the six o'clock news, right? Or the next morning in the newspaper. There was the government and local officials that had time to defuse the situation or get their ducks in a row before presenting the situation to the world. And they had done some of that processing for us. Now, students have the capability of watching those things live. We and our students are processing this on our own without any filter whatsoever. We are our own filter. And sometimes that can be good. Sometimes that, that gives us the opportunity to, um, to, to decide what we think on our own without, without media telling us what we should think. And then in other ways, it is hard because we are seeing things for the first time without any filter. We, there's, there's a lack of control almost that we, that I would say that we have because we are processing. We don't know. Nobody has their ducks in a row yet. <laughs> nobody, nobody has diffused any situation yet by the time we hear about it. Cause we're watching it live. We're watching it on Instagram as it's happening. We're watching it on Facebook as it's happening. We're watching it, you know, on YouTube as it's happening. Um, and so that just makes it hard, especially for our students. Um, we've seen, you know, kind of the advantages of technology the last six to eight months as we've had like this global pandemic. Um, it's kind of forced us out of the public spaces that we've been in and 
or limited our access anyway. And then, and we've been able to use technology to do our jobs. I mean, I'm sitting in an office alone right now talking into a microphone that's loading it into a computer and that computer is going to load it into the internet for you to access within the next hour. I mean, it's so fast. It's incredible. And, and we're doing that in the middle of a pandemic. We've, we can be on a beach in Bali talking on a zoom call with our boss while we're on the other side of the world. They're on the other side of the world. We're sharing screens and we're talking to each other in real time. We can watch church and advance the kingdom of God through streaming services online because we have instant access to all of this content. And it is incredible. And it's like, what in the world? What would people in ancient Babylon have thought of this? I mean, it's just, it's insane to think of. It's not always a bad. Technology is not bad. There's so many ways that we can take advantage of technology. And so one of the things that I want us to consider as we read through this book is not that we are condemning technology or condemning people who use technology. Quite the opposite. How can we use technology to our advantage and teach our students how to use technology wisely um, with discernment and with self-control so that um, so that as they grow in their relationship with Jesus, they are being discipled by people who love Jesus rather than um, by anyone else. We could go on and on and on, um, but here we are. We're in an age of technology. We can't and don't necessarily want to change it. I mean, none of us are, <laughs> some of us some days are like, man, I wish I had a flip phone. But the reality is none of us are going out and getting flip phones because we like our technology even as a 34-year-old and as frustrated as I can get with my students, I love my phone. I love having, I love having the internet in my pocket. Um, it's, I mean, I, I love it. Most of you do too. Most of you wouldn't be able to listen to this podcast if you didn't have the internet in your pocket. And so I think that we can all agree that we don't necessarily want to change the technology. We like the convenience that it allows. We like um, the, the things that it offers. But it can, it can be hard. And so how do we raise students to be resilient Christians in a moment in time where they have so many other voices talking in their direction? That's, that's what we want to talk about these next five weeks. How are we going to raise our students to be resilient Christians? We're going to talk about the four terms that we're going to use, and that's the one of them. In a moment in time where they have so many other voices, literally anyone else can be talking to them right now. I've heard, you know, students say over and over things like, I'll be closer to God when I get married and have kids, or I'll be closer to God after college, or I'll kind of, I'll start going to church like on my own, you know, when um, I decide to settle down or whatever. And then I hear parents say on the, in the same token, like, oh, they're just, they're just being teenagers, or this is just a phase, they'll, they'll grow out of it, or I did this when I was younger and I'm fine now, um, kind of writing off this idea that students are not following Jesus because they're choosing all the other things that are accessible to them. And I think that we forget, I think what is so dangerous about that is, yes, maybe those things are true, but maybe they're not. They're, our culture, we forget that our, our culture, our current culture, especially with the access that we have to it, plays a significant role long term in the way that we view the world in the way that we process things, in the way that we interact with others. I, you know, the way that um, the music that we listen to 
is inform informs the way that we view ourselves, informs the way that we view relationships, informs the way that we view friendships, informs the way that we view men and women. We are in, we were made to bear the image of God, and so many songs, so many television shows, so many of the things that we have access to portray men and women as um, stupid or as incapable or as um, as evil or as you know hopeless, and that's not that that's not what we were created to be. I, I mean, even, even in my own life, I see the way that I, I, we mold toward this idea, like, I watched a lot of Disney princess movies, and so there's kind of this idea that one day, you know, like, I have to be, I have to look a very certain way, and I have to be a certain type of person, and then I have to get married, and I have to have kids, and I have to, you know, like, but, but the reality is that that's not actually what Scripture tells us, right? Like, sure, Scripture tells us that we should be fruitful and multiply. Um, scripture gives us a lot of direction on married, marriage, but also 1 Corinthians tells us that it's very, better to be single than to be married. Um, and so, so both can be true, but also society, the movies, the, the media that I've consumed, even as a resilient Christian— has informed the way that I live my life and the way that I see my value and my worth as a human. And so how much more is that for a student who has even more access to even more resources, to even more voices that are opposite of the voice of God? What are, what are they going to walk out if they, if they spend five years rebelling? What are they going to walk into their adulthood with? What ideas about who they are? What ideas about culture? What ideas about the way that they bear the image of God are they going to walk into their adulthood with? And how are they, with those stories, how are they going to inform the way that their children grow up or the way that their grandchildren grow up? I mean, we're, we're talking long term here, but I think, I mean, that's that's the point of discipleship, right, is that we multiply and they multiply and they multiply and they multiply. Um, and, and, and let me say this, I think that we're all being discipled by something, by someone, right? Like discipleship is basically just training someone in the way that they should go. And so if we, if, if our students are listening to Post Malone 12 hours a day, which some of them are, to be clear. <laughs> um, or if they're even listening to Taylor Swift 12 hours a day, or if they're watching TV 12 hours a day, or if they're playing video games where you're murdering people 12 hours a day, or whatever, or even five hours a day, that they're spending more time with those words and those things and those ideas than they are with anybody else. So is that what their primary discipler is? Is that what's informing what they think truth is? I think so. I mean, I think that that's a, that's a real challenge for us. And I think that it's a challenge even for us as adults to see what's, you know, we, what's informing the way that we view the world. Um, so let's talk research for a sec. In this book, Faith for Exiles, I just want to kind of go over some of the statistics for you. They interviewed about 50,000 people. So I think it, it came out to be about 48,900 something people 
Um, they were all 15 to 23 year olds and they started interviewing in around 2010 and finished interviewing in around 2018. So some of the people that were interviewed that were in that age range are now going to be closer to 33. Um, and then some of those people in that age range are still, you know, 17. So they're, so, but they were all in that age range when they were interviewed. Um, and based on the answers to the questions, they asked lots and lots of questions. Based on the answers to the questions asked, they categorized students, these people, I, I don't, I'm, they're all student age, so we're going to call them students for the purpose of just consistency. Um, so they categorized these students into four particular categories, um, and those categories are prodigals, so people who grew up in the church and then left the church and don't, don't, have, a, don't have faith, um, don't have any kind of spiritual connection to the church anymore nomads so those are people who um identify as a christian but have not attended church recently maybe grew up in the church but don't go to church at all but don't necessarily they still identify maybe as a christian um the third group is habitual churchgoers so these are people who attend church on a regular basis but when we ask the questions when they ask the questions about faith, about who Jesus is, about what it means to be a Christian. These people did not actually meet the qualifications that scripture would say um, are set for someone who is following Jesus. So maybe they don't have um, a proper understanding of what the gospel is. Maybe they don't have a proper understanding of grace. Maybe they don't have a proper understanding of, um, maybe they don't, they don't have the core beliefs of a Christian. They don't have the behaviors related to Christianity. Um, they are not intentional. They are not engaged in discipleship in any way, shape, or form. They are only attending church. And even at that, regularity is counted as once per month. So it's not regular church going. It's just on average, they go about once a month. Those are habitual churchgoers. And the fourth group, which is what we are aiming toward, are resilient disciples. Um, and those are Christ followers who attend church at least once a month, they engage with their church more often than just in worship services. So maybe they're in a small group. Maybe they, maybe they serve in some capacity. Maybe they um, are at youth group and at church on Sunday, whatever the case may be. Um, they are committed to Jesus. Um, they trust. The, the key is that they trust firmly in the authority of Scripture. So they find Scripture important and they believe what it says and they are trusting it and following it to um, grow closer to Christ. They affirm that he was crucified and raised from the dead. So like our core belief as Christians, resilient disciples are the group of people who would say that they identify with that particular belief. Um, and then they express a desire to transform the broader society. And so here is um, the bad news and the good news. The bad news is only 10% of the 50,000 people who grew up as Christians, let me be very clear, all of the people interviewed in these 50,000 grew up identifying as a Christian. They grew up in the church on some level. All of them. Not most of them, all of them. Of the ones who grew up in the church, only 10% of them identify as resilient disciples, Identi understand the gospel and want the gospel to advance and want to be a part of that advancement. 10%, one in 10. 
Um, so our youth group at Seven Rivers has, I don't know, on any given semester, we might see between 150 to 200 students. So you're looking at 20 kids max coming out of Seven Rivers who, um, who would be considered resilient disciples if we continue in the direction that we've been headed for the last 10 years. Not we, Seven Rivers, but we as a culture, as a Christian culture. Um, and that's, that's kind of scary, right? I mean, you're hoping, uh, now that I've said that, you're hoping that your kids are, are one or two or four, ten of the, of the 20. But the reality is that they may not be. Um, and so that's the bad news. The good news is that we are, um, we're going to talk for the next five weeks about how we as parents, as disciplers, as ministry um, people can, as ministry workers can um, b- build resilient disciples, how we can encourage these students to be resilient disciples. Um, and so with that, we are, um, we're done for the day. <laughs> that's our intro. Um, that's where we're headed for the next five weeks. If you don't have the book already, I'm going to remind you again. It's called Faith for Exiles. It's by David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock. It's available on Amazon. It's available probably like at Lifeway or Crossway. I'm not um, not totally sure, but I know you can get it on Amazon. That's where we ordered ours. Um, and we would love to hear back from you. So um, so let us know what you think. Let us know if you're in. Um, and we cannot wait to see you next week for practice one of Faith for Exiles. Um, so next week we will, we will discuss practice one and we're excited to be there. So we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the book club. We were glad that you were here. If you love our content, you can follow us on Instagram or on Facebook at seven river student ministry. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, tips on podcasting, you can email us at srsm at sevenrivers.org. Also, if you love this podcast, please subscribe to it. If you really love this podcast, give us a five-star review that helps us get this content out to more people on more platforms. We love you guys, and we can't wait to see you again next week.